welcome to Straight Talk Live. My name is Rick Snyder, one of the co-hosts of this amazing program. Where we, it's a nonprofit where we get to explore um, human transformation, digital transformation, and social impact. And today we have quite a show for you. Um, I am the CEO of Invisible Edge, the author of Decisive Intuition, and I want to introduce my other co-host, Af Maholtra. Af, take it away. Uh, thank you, Rick. Welcome, everyone, on uh, another fantastic episode. Uh, once again, we have uh, a phenomenal guest back with us, of course, um, Lisa Dion, and we'll tell you more about her in a second. I'm uh, the co-creator of this fantastic show and also the co-founder of Growth Enabler. So off we go on this journey again. So let's crack on, as I say, and over to you, Rick. Okay. Today we are talking about, I think, one of the most important topics of our era, and something I know that we're all paying a lot of attention to these days, politically, uh, every time we turn on the media, uh, all the tensions that we're feeling from COVID, from health, from fear, from anxiety, and how that often pushes up conflict. And often we're not equipped on how to deal with conflict. Who, how many of us actually went to that class in school? I'm like, oh, here's how you're supposed to do conflict. Here's how to work with that. None mm -hmm. of us, right? And often we didn't get the modeling we needed from our family at home and how they did conflict. And so it's such a difficult uh, human uh, thing to navigate. And so imagine actually getting equipped in that. Imagine actually learning how to get more comfortable with the uncomfortable and how yeah. to deal with that and how to build more resolve. That's exactly what we're going to focus on today. And we have a very special return guest, Lisa Dion. Lisa, welcome back to Straight Talk Live. Thank you for having me, asking me back. So excited to have you back. And just for those who maybe didn't see the first episode that you were on, could you just share a little bit about you and your background? Sure. So I am a psychotherapist. Um, I am also a um, master certified Demartini method facilitator. Um, I'm also a mom. Uh, so we're a couple of hats here. Um, I'm also the president of the Synergetic Play Therapy Institute and the creator of Synergetic Play Therapy, which for those of you that are not familiar with that, it is basically a model of how to work with children and families, although the application extends into working with adults as well. Um, so that's what I do. I teach and I train individuals about how to understand what's going on inside of them, what's going on around them, what's happening between them and other people. So this is a perfect topic for today. That's fantastic. So let's dive right in, Lisa. Mm -hmm. So conflict, one of the things I really admire about you is that you have a different way of approaching conflict and a different way of thinking about it than I, I'm usually you know, hearing out there in the world. And so if you could just share a little bit about your mindset around how you think about conflict uh, that might be different than the mainstream, let's start there. Great. So we are accustomed to believing that conflict is bad because it feels bad. I think that's why we we're accustomed to it, right? We, we want instead to, we want to move through the world feeling more peaceful, more happy, um, we don't, we don't want the conflict. It feels, feels yucky inside. It creates symptoms inside of our, our bodies. It creates brain noise inside of our brains and, and really across the world, um, we are inundated with messages that says to some degree or another, um, conflict isn't good. So that belief is reinforced. However, when you look at what's going on with conflict, really, what we understand is everybody has it, everyone has always had it, mm -hmm. and everyone will always continue to have it, which means that it's here for a reason. Mm -hmm. It's not something to uh, try to, um, well, we can talk about and we will talk about how do we work it through, but I think the biggest thing is that conflict is not bad. Right. It's not bad. It's not something we need to be afraid of. It's not something that we need to shy away from. If we engage in it, if we feel it internally, if we, if we experience it with, you know, with others, it's not, again, it's not something that we have to, um, I want to shift the mindset from it's bad to actually it's here. And if it's here, it means it's necessary. And maybe what's really going on is there's simply feedback. So what mm -hmm. if we reframed it as that conflict is feedback 
and we need to learn how to understand the feedback. Mm. And do you, um, can I just add to that? So conflict is feedback. So you're repositioning, reframing conflict for many of us, um, suggesting that it's probably, uh, as you said, it's not a bad thing. Um, and uh, I guess I can interpret it may be a good thing to some extent because it allows you to uh, find a new way of engaging or working with a certain individual or person or group of people. Um, and it happens also at country level, nation to nation, there's conflict, of course, and, and we'll probably come to that. So um, can you just, can you unpack conflict a little bit and, and talk us through when, think of it almost like a severity, um, you know, uh, continuum of some sort. When does it, when does it happen um, and why does it happen? So when does it, when does it happen and why does it happen? And then I, I, I guess we'll go further from there. Yep, that's great. So let's distinguish inner conflict from outer conflict. And I wanna start first with inner conflict because in many ways that's probably more important because outer conflict is an extension of inter, mm -hmm. inner conflict. Mm -hmm. So what do I mean when I say inner conflict? Um, what I mean is what is happening inside of us? What's, what's happening relationally within us? Where are we experiencing some kind of an inner conflict? So we might think of that as inner tension, okay. right? Inner brain noise. Um, for those of you that saw the last episode and we talked about regulation and dysregulation, dysregulation, right? Symptoms increasing inside. And, and if we're looking at this again from the lens of feedback, what we're really learning here is that all of that inner conflict is, is alerting us, right? Alerting us to potentially hand, uh, a handful of things. One is, am I trying to be someone that I'm not? Let's just start there. Okay, that's a big one for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. If I am trying to be someone that I'm not, I'm going to experience inner conflict. There will be an inner conflict between who I actually mm -hmm. am and the messages or the fantasy or this idea of who I think I'm supposed to be striving to be. There's going to be inner conflict that's going to arise. In fact, mm -hmm. you will have a fight or flight or even a shutdown withdrawal, which is your activation that happens when we perceive a challenge. It'll actually emerge in our systems when we are in a moment of trying to be someone that we're not. That's a really interesting way of thinking about symptoms, right? Um, it could be another one where um, we're not setting boundaries. Why aren't we setting boundaries? Well, likely because we have a belief that says, I shouldn't set a boundary or it's not okay to set a boundary or I might be afraid of conflict with another person. Um, and so we start to minimize and walk on eggshells. Mm -hmm. So we'll put that one in the category of subordination. So when we subordinate what feels truth for, truthful for us, when we subordinate who we are, when we subordinate our needs, when we take what actually feels important to us and we, we shove it inside, that's going to create some inner conflict. Because again, we're not able in those moments to be fully expressed. We're not able to walk through the world being who we are. So we're going to get inner feedback. Other things, unresolved guilt, unresolved shame. Oh my goodness, inner conflict. And that goes back again to, I'm going to have inner shame and guilt when I have subordinated to a belief about whatever it is that I've done right? I shouldn't have done that. Why? Because someone somewhere said that that's bad, right? I learned somewhere along the ways that that's not a thing to do. Um, maybe there's a morality piece in here. So there's a subordination to a morality of some kind or a belief system or a structure that, that again, that we have, that we have ingested. And, and the reality is, I mean, here's such an interesting thing. If we're having an experience of guilt and shame, it's because some part of us doesn't actually resonate with that belief system, which is sort of interesting, right? There's some part of us that's actually in, in con it's, we're in conflict. Um, we don't, we don't, we, we did something and this thing that we did or that we said or whatever it is was authentic to us in the moment because we did it, right? We did it. So some part of it resonated for us in the moment but yet now we're back to that conflict between what we did and what we think we shouldn't have done or should have done. 
And once again, we split ourselves, our authenticity versus who we think that we should be. So, I mean, as I'm giving these different examples, I hope people can hear, right, that it's this, it's this inner, um, uh, like this, yeah, it's an inner, inner conflict around like, who am I? What's true for me? Um, how do I make sense of what's true for me with all of the messaging and all of the, 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 the basically the training that, that I've received, you know, in my life that says, well, this part of me is okay. And this part of me is not okay. And when I do this, it's okay. And when I do this, you know, it's not okay. The other piece that I'll throw in here, which is actually quite interesting, is that um, we also use conflict, um, inner conflict, um, and then this outer conflict to regulate ourselves. So, for example, if I'm starting to numb out in life, I'm starting to shut down in life, I'm starting to not be able to feel we might find that one of the strategies that someone may use is to actually go pick a fight with someone. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it actually amps up the activation in their system to help them feel awake and alert again. Yeah. So we, there's also patterns that we do. And we'll talk about this more when we talk about, you know, uh, conflict with, with others, but there's also something quite wise when we are, instigating it right or when we are at when we're where we are contributing to the to the activation of it and it's an interesting thing to look at what's the function of it mm-hmm. like what's mm-hmm. the function of that what, mm-hmm. what versus oh that's that's bad i shouldn't i shouldn't have done that so yeah. um yeah inner conflict i think that's a really important place to start the conversation yeah, I love that definition. I haven't heard a lot of people talk about that, that it really starts with how do I identify with myself? You know, am I in conflict with who I think I am? And how am I authentic? Am I not? Am I off track? And conflict is actually a healthy, almost like alarm system to keep me alert of, wait a minute, I'm not living my values. I'm not living my belief systems. Um, and so I'm going to feel that inside, that tension as you, as you talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really a great way to talk about inner conflict. Then of course, that's going to spill external, mm-hmm. the more that it bubbles up and I'm not at peace with myself. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's exactly what will happen. And, and you just had me think about couples also. Um, when you talk about how we regulate our homeostasis in a relationship, right? Our temperature gauge where so I know, and I've been in some of them, actually some relationships where drama will cycle when things are a bit boring or flat or lifeless or we're not speaking our truth. We're not getting more real with each other. So sometimes in some unconscious way, some drama will flare up and that will actually have us feel closer together or force us to actually talk things out, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's an amazing thing how that can happen also in the business space too, right? Where the team is not communicating, um, but there's a lot of tension in the space. And then there'll be some kind of big drama or, you know, burst that happens that gets everybody talking. Mm-hmm. A great visual just came to mind as you were talking about that. So one of the things that I actually help parents understand is that, um, you know, with their children, and we can look at this with ourselves too, if we, if we aren't expressing and we aren't being honest about who we are, we can think of it almost like a buildup, right? Think of like a tea kettle on a stove. And, and at first we don't really feel it. There's a, there's a low simmer, right? And we just can sort of deny that there's something brewing under the surface. But again, we don't express, we don't express, and it starts to get hotter and hotter. Pretty soon, the, the, the boiling point is, is you know, picking up, picking up speed here. And what would happen if the tea kettle did not have a relief valve? Mm-hmm. What would happen? So sometimes, go back to the idea of conflict as regulation, sometimes the conflict has to happen mm-hmm in order to release what was being pent up and stored inside. And so the question then really goes into how do we become aware that that's starting to rise within us? And then how do we also recognize that in someone else too? Recognizing that the option is not to not address what's going on. That's not the option. The option is not to avoid it. The option is how do we address everything that is brewing 
but how do we do it in a way where it's proactive versus reactive uh, might be a way that we could, we could talk about that. But in my mind, all conflict, all external conflict ultimately comes back to first and foremost, what is happening within, within me. Mm. And do you, do you think it's an, it's an important point? And I think this is, um, it, you have to go on a personal journey to be able to deal with the, the concept of within me because there has to be an element of maturity and almost uh, some time that you've got to think about you as being one of the um, active participants in the conflict as opposed to thinking, well, it's because of her there's a conflict because, of course, that's a natural reaction or him, whoever it may be, the other person or the other entity. So um, before we get into that, tell us a little bit about you know, uh, why, why is it important to have conflict? Because of course, there's one school of thought that suggests, well, conflict is, like you said earlier, actually, it's not a bad thing. It could be a good thing. Uh, but a lot of people, people think, well, why have any conflict? I mean, it's not good to have conflict. God forbid, why have bad relationships with anyone? Because the association with conflict is bad relationship, resentment, sour taste, and so on and so forth. But I guess what you're alluding to is that if it's necessary to have conflict, a little bit like how it's necessary to have curveballs and failures in life, because it builds mental resilience and it helps you to grow up and all of those good things. How does conflict play into that? Because it's, it's, it's not often discussed, even whether it's work relationships or it's a couple's relationship, it's friendship, or it's a, a parent and a child. We don't openly discuss conflict, do we? Um, yeah. It's not something you just discuss. I wonder what, whether we should, but tell us why, um, what happens after conflict generally in your experience? All right, let's get juicy. <laughs> let's get juicy. Let's, let's, let's do let's, it. Let's, let's double. Do it. Let's, let's double click right now on that. Let's double click. Okay, everyone, we're about, we're about to do. We're about to do a little deep dive here. Okay, let's let's uh, let's talk about um, human behavior. I mean, this is called straight talk. So uh, bring it. Let, let's let, let's do it. Um. All right. I'm just gonna say it like it is. Okay. Mm -hmm. The most. I'm gonna use immature. But when I say immature, I'm not saying it as a judgment. I'm talking about it in terms of least developed, right? That's how I'm using this word. Yep. The most immature part of us wants pleasure over pain, right? Yep. The mm -hmm. most immature, the most, uh, the most basic primal animal part of us mm -hmm. would like to avoid pain at all costs and just wants to feel good. Mm -hmm. It is one of... It is a stage in growth. Okay. As we evolve and we mature, there's a higher understanding which comes into play, which is to understand that the strive towards having only the pleasurable experiences will never actually manifest. Mm. And in fact, a lot of what we experience in terms of inner conflict is just that. It's a fantasy that we have that somehow we can actually go through life and avoid things that don't feel good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not accurate because in order to grow, you have to have a balance of both. And in fact, the world is constantly presenting you with, uh, with, with both. I encourage all listeners. I want you to try to think of a time in your life when you've never had a challenge. Mm -hmm. You, you won't find one. There's always something, right? There's always, there's always something. The way I love to reframe this is there's always friction. Mm -hmm. okay? I love that word. There's always friction. We don't grow without friction. If we don't have friction, Internally and externally, we stay juvenile and immature. Mm -hmm. We don't evolve. Mm -hmm. So why do we need conflict? Because it creates friction. Mm -hmm. Because it creates tension within us that mm -hmm. makes us stop and go, who am I? Mm -hmm. What's important to me? What do I believe? What do I not believe? Do I want to be with this person? Do I not want to be with this person? Do I want this job? Do I not want this job? What do I want to do with my life? How do I, right? It, it, it forces, it forces deep questioning. If we didn't have it, 
we would basically be saying, I would like to not grow. So there's another, tell it like it is. If we're having a moment going, please, please take all my conflict away. Please take all my challenges away. Please, please make life feel easy and smooth. Please just let me be happy. I'd like you to reframe that moment to say, please don't let me grow. Please help me stay juvenile and young and immature in my thinking. Please help me stay focused on gratitude, on uh, not gratitude, on um, grasping for for pleasure, grasping. And and the and here is just the reality because there's such an innate part of us that will not will not let us get away with that. So the more that we do that the more inner conflict we create. That's the, that's right. the irony of the whole thing. Say more about that part is the more we avoid conflict, we're actually attracting yes. it more, more. Can you say more about that connection? Yeah, we'll just say it how we say it there. The yeah. more you avoid conflict, the more you create and attract. Because your, however you want to talk about it, the part of you that wants you to grow, whether you want mm. to or not, right. will mm. not have it. Will not have it right? Mm. We're here to grow. We're here to evolve. We're here to learn. Mm. So yes, the, the more that I have this belief about who I'm supposed to be or how life is supposed to operate. Um, and, and, and it's, it's not reality because reality is that we get both, we get supported and we get challenged. That's the reality of it. Um, the more conflict is going to show up because I'm going to have more tension inside of me between, Oh, why is my life not manifesting the way I want it to manifest? Why are my relationships not different than the way I think they should be? Why am I having, what do I need to do to be more happy? Versus taking a deep breath and recognizing, oh, you mean all this is feedback. Oh, you mean all this pressure that I feel on me, all this tension, all the me feeling like I've got the weight of the world on my shoulders. Oh, you mean, you mean that's my own creation because I'm not willing to be myself. Oh, Mm. interesting. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm not willing to accept myself for who I am. I'm not willing to accept reality for what it is. Mm. Do you think, do you think, um, let's, let's go into, let's dig deeper now. Um, so there are situations in our lives. And again, after this pandemic, we keep talking about the pandemic because it's such a crazy thing, right? And it's changed a lot of things around us uh, during the pandemic. You know, the, the yin and yang side, one part is amazing. People have like hugely, um, better relationships, greater intimacy with family and friends and, you know, zoom calls and all of the other stuff and it's building bridges there is the other side to it as well where it's creating greater conflict and uh, for a variety of different reasons it could be conflicts at home we know domestic violence has gone up um uh you know at a at a much higher rate than ever before at least i speak for for, for the uk i'm sure it's the same in the us and other places and uh, maybe people aren't used to being spending so much time together and you realize how your values and the way you live your life with the other person, your partner, business and or personal is not what you thought it was. And yeah. therefore there's disagreement, disagreement on um, things that start with the, why did you put the bread away in the fridge? We always keep it outside to <laughs> perhaps at work. Why do we do it this way? We always do our deals this way. I mean, it could be a, a myriad of things. Um, t- tell us, tell us about management of this, um, because it's if it's going to happen, and I and I guess we're all facing some level of conflict uh, at different levels of severity. I mean, one is ac- accepting and understanding that we've got something to do with it, whether it's internal or within. That's one part. The other is now I'm in battle. I'm in conflict, like my sword is out and I'm, we're going for it. And I'm not able to regulate, by the way, at this point. I'm just too, I'm like, it's your fault. I can't, sorry, I can't regulate. Lisa, your advice is not working. I'm not able to regulate. Um, so now what do I do? What, I know it's, it's probably an unfair question, but it's a real question, isn't it? It's, we all go through it. 
So let's, I want to do one other piece before we get there. Cause I think that's probably what the listeners are. Yeah. What do we do when the right. conflict happens? But there's a, there's a, a piece we need to talk about from the inner conflict to the outer conflict. How does that, cool. how does that transition happen? And, you know, and what is that space? So you said something really spot on in your description. Um, I thought that they were different or I, mm. this is how we used to do it. So if we can hear even in the language, it's our expectations. It still comes back to us. Mm-hmm. It's our expectations. Mm-hmm. So much like the inner conflict dilemma of I'm expecting myself to be different than I am, outer conflict is often a manifestation of I'm expecting you to be different than who you are. And mm-hmm. I have a judgment about how you are going about doing whatever you are doing. Mm-hmm. Also, let's tie that back into what I said about how there's a part of us that would love to avoid anything that feels bad at all cost. Well, the reason why we point the finger out there is because when you start doing whatever you start doing, and it will use the word, right, activates me, triggers me in some way, it's a lot easier for me to try to get you to stop So for me to be under the illusion that this is your fault, that I feel this way. So if I can get you to knock it off or to change and be the way I think you should be, then I don't have to feel dysregulated, Mm -hmm. right? I need you to change because I can't handle the inner conflict that's happening in me when you're doing whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a big, that's a big piece to recognize that we oftentimes want the other person to be different because we don't want to deal. So when we're looking at outer conflict, again, it's a similar process in that, am I expecting someone to be different than they are? Am I expecting someone to behave in a way that um, uh, that's according to my values and according to how I think that things should go? Um, That's a recipe for disaster, by the way. Um, You know, you want to create conflict? Go ahead and do that. That's, That's like one of the fastest roads towards conflict because just like we want permission to be ourselves, we'll everyone else wants permission to be themselves as well. And so when we put expectations on others to be someone that they're not, of course, they're going to respond accordingly. And then, and then here's the thing that I find so much um, with us as individuals, we're shocked. Like somehow we're shocked that somehow us asking someone to be different than who they are, like, I can't believe they acted that way. Mm-hmm. Really? I can't believe they had that response. Really? Really? Right? Um, so so there's, there's that place there of us, us, again, us, 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 saying, what are we putting on the other? What expectations are we putting on to people, you know, ar- you know around us? Um, I don't know if we want to go deeper into that. If we want to get into the, what do we do? I, I want to get into repair. Yeah. And I want to talk about it first from a cultural perspective and yeah. social, and then get into the individual. Yeah. And so one of the things we just talked about right before we got, we went live on this call, Lisa, was that right now we have a cancel culture where if anyone falls from grace in the celebrity or public space, we want to crucify them. And maybe that's warranted, maybe not. But the point is, while we cancel people out and don't give them a second chance, we also don't really have a place for reconciliation. We don't have a model for repair. Um, it's easy to you know, throw someone down the staircase if they've done a stupid thing or whatever happened that was unsavory or whatever it might be. But we're not seeing a modeling of, well, how do we actually have dialogue? How do we repair uh, from someone who's been harmed and someone who's done the harm? How do we actually heal we're not seeing that at all in the public sector. So I'm curious, what do you see about that? And what do you think is the message that newer generations are learning from yeah. how we're seeing conflict being played out on a big scale right now? Mm-hmm. So back to the normalizing conflict, we actually know from research 
that um, rupture, so we'll, we'll call conflict as a form of rupture in a relationship, right? In a dynamic mm-hmm. that, um, that rupture is actually the majority of what happens in relationship which is actually maybe a little surprising for people to hear that in fact, 70% of relationship is about navigating rupture. So we could reframe that navigating feedback, navigating tension points. Hmm. We know this, right? when you have someone that's that's really on it, the research is showing they're really attuned like 30% of the time. So that's a big reframe because again, the fantasy would say, oh no, it feels good 70% of the time. And then the rupture only happens 30% of the time. It's actually quite, quite reversed um, in that way. So what that means is that unless we know how to repair, so Rick, exactly what you're talking about, um, we don't actually get to integrate the feedback. We don't actually get to grow from the tension. We don't get to evolve from the conflict that just came in. Because again, if we're talking about this as this can be useful, right? This can be useful. It can be purposeful. Well, like you said, all right, there's a, there's a rupture, there's conflict, and then we're done and we don't repair it. Well, what did we just learn? Yeah. Right. There's no integration. And here's the thing. When there's no integration, you're destined to have to do it again. Oof. Straight Boom. talk. That's some straight talk right there. Boom. You're destined to repeat it again because you didn't integrate it. Boom. Boom. Right? So rupture and repair is huge. Mm-hmm. So repair, um, a repair is about ownership. Repair is about responsibility. Mm. Repair is not about blaming and pointing fingers. Mm. Repair isn't about you did this to me and you made me blank. Repair is about here is what I brought to the moment. Here is my contribution. Here is how I recognize how my choices impacted you. Here is how I imagine that might have felt for you or how you might have experienced that. Mm. That's Mm. repair. Not, well, you did this to me and I need you to never do it again. Mm. That's not repair. Mm. That's expecting the other person to, to, uh, make everything feel better so that we don't have to take responsibility. Mm. It, it, what have you found in your research and the various conversations you've had and, and the clients you have in your coaching and so on? Um, what is the, if you think about the build up to repair and you think about the evolution of the person who is willing to go out there and take a punt at repairing, right? R- realizing that like a car mechanic, it's the first time I've seen the car. I want to repair it. But I have no clue what I'm doing here. So I'll just take this wrench and do something with it. Um, what what can we do to prepare ourselves for repair? I think you've just li- pretty much highlighted when we do the transcript, by the way, because we are launching a book. I can't wait to see that because you've just highlighted. You've give, almost given the checklist of what repair is. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who are less aware of this stuff and maybe, you know, sometimes you typecast people, they know, sometimes you meet people in your life, you're like, well, that one, she's a troublemaker or he's a troublemaker. They're, they're, they're seeking out conflict all the time on anything. It could be politics. It could be, well, the pie doesn't look cooked or it could be, well, the wine's terrible. You know, you have people like that around you think, okay, here we go. You know, always looking for a fight, you know, and I guess you're saying, well, they're seeking to be a little bit, um, significant or they want to feel like everything else is placid so the conflict makes them feel alive right that's one way of justifying it um when you have a situation where you're trying to fix or repair what would you say to someone who's a novice in this space um and number one number two is personal personal to personal repair different to work related repair um I, I don't know the answer. I'm just, you know, is it different because it's an, work is more organized, it's more professional, it's more structured. Maybe the implications of doing things are different as opposed to the personal stuff where you take things for granted. Um, what, what are your views? What sort of guidance would you give people? 
I think it depends ultimately on how authentic and congruent a person wants to be really, Mm -hmm. because I think that when someone genuinely wants to be authentic and congruent, you're going to show up at work, very similar to how you show up at home, very similar to how you show up at work. So in my mind, the repair is not a whole lot different. It may be more vulnerable because you may have to uh, be a little bit more authentic with more people. So there may be a vulnerability. There may be some inner conflict that needs to be resolved first. Like, oh my goodness, if I admit this out loud, uh, people aren't going to like me. And we may have to go through facing some fears. Or if I took responsibility, then I'll look weak. That's a big one that shows up for, you know, for leaders or even just sometimes in relationship. I'm not taking responsibility for this because then they'll, yeah, they'll think that I'm weak or they'll think that I'm less than. What I want listeners to understand is that the act of taking responsibility and the act of being authentic and vulnerable is absolutely the strongest, most powerful expression that we can have. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's, it's, it's people's brain noise and judgment about it. And really it's a reflection of their own guilt and shame, right? Mm-hmm. And their own stuff that they're not loving about themselves. But, but a, a moment of authenticity and congruency um, is magnetic at a serious, serious level. So I'm going to give two examples here. So yesterday, I didn't have such a, a great day yesterday. I had, uh, I was in a bit of a mood, all of that. I knew that how I moved through my day was going to impact my daughter. I, like I knew that. Right. And I knew that, that, that there was probably going to be a higher probability of tension um, because of, of what was going on for me. And so the very first thing that I said to her after I said, good morning yesterday was sweetie, I'm just letting you know, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed and I'm struggling today. And um, you know um, and I took ownership of, of that. She had a friend come over later and as they are in the kitchen, I'm making dinner and I can hear myself get a little, little, little edgy, little snappy. And I realized, okay, I need to take responsibility in front of her friend, Mm -hmm. right? In front of her friend to her friend. Mm -hmm. And so I did, I paused what I was doing. I looked at both of them and I said, I just responded to both of you in a way that probably didn't feel good. And then I explained to the friend, I said her name. And I said, I shared with, with my daughter earlier this morning that I'm having a hard day today. Mm-hmm. And so what you're experiencing in this moment is about me and what's going on within me. It's not mm-hmm. something that you are doing. You both get to keep doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Her friend looked at me a bit like I, you know, um, was alien-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, but what ended up happening was within 20 minutes, they both prompted conversation with me about emotions, feelings, boys, relationship. And I know it was because I showed up mm-hmm. in authenticity and vulnerability and did a repair. And that made me safe in the moment. Mm-hmm. Now let's translate that over to, um, to the office. We were doing our strategic planning a couple weeks ago. As we're going through our strategic planning, it was really apparent to me that there was a particular behavior, more like an avoidance behavior pattern around certain things that were on my to-do list. And I could see really clearly that they were impacting my team because I was waiting to last minute to get things done. I could see how me avoiding and not wanting to take responsibility for these certain things was creating some chaos for some individuals and was also um, you know, creating a bit of a stuck point in some in part of the business. Mm. Deep breath to seven people. Team, I mean, as the president of the company, mm-hmm. team, I'm part of the reason why we're stuck. My own inability to deal with these things on the to-do list. Mm. My waiting for last minute, as I'm recognizing, is creating chaos for some of you because some of you are having to work last minute when I finally get it done. Mm. I recognize that I'm creating conflict and I'm creating chaos. And I recognize that my behavior is impacting all of you. Mm. Beautiful. From there, the conversation got to go to, 
it is clear to me that these things that are on my list are not inspiring to me. Is there anyone here that could help me? Hmm. Is there anyone here hmm. that could, right? And then we're starting to work together. So I know that was a, a long answer, but I want to give an example. How I showed up at home was not different than how I showed up at work. Both of those were me recognizing there was conflict, there was tension, things were happening, things were brewing, and it was my responsibility mm -hmm. to be aware of that and to take responsibility and do the repair for both of them. I want to and highlight, both, and at both it shifted both of them. Mm -hmm. I want to highlight exactly. one important point here that's I want all everyone to hear out there is that you know there's this thing as you talked about that we want to our ego wants to be right. You know, we don't want to show our weakness and our vulnerability when we're wrong or we might be uh, missed the mark on some conversation or whatever it might be. We want to defend our position and our point of view, right? And so we think that's strong, especially in the business world. We've been taught like, oh, I'm going to mash my point of view. The person who mashes their point of view strongest wins and, and convinces the room of the direction we're supposed to go or the sale we're supposed to make, whatever's supposed to happen. But I, I really like this reframe and what you're really pointing to that where when we can repair is when we take ownership and responsibility. Uh -huh. And when we do that, we're whole. Uh -huh. We're not in Correct. conflict with ourselves. We're not fractals of ourselves. We're actually whole and that's actually more powerful. So if I can own my insecurities, my vulnerabilities, where I might have made an impact on you and I wanna check it out with you, that's, how, that's actually making it whole. And that's actually a position of power, much more so than the old position of power where we pretend mm -hmm that we're invulnerable and always in control and never make mistakes, which is total bullshit. Um, and people still, we all still try that too. <laughs> but it's just amazing how you're really highlighting that important point that real power is ownership and responsibility, even of our shadow elements and the things that are not comfortable, especially. Absolutely. Well, the beautiful thing is that, um, I and mean, we can start talking about some other things that we can do when conflict shows up, but um, I'm modeling to the other person that they can then be vulnerable with yes. me, which right. automatically <clears throat> starts to diffuse the conflict. Yes. Yeah. Because it gives permission. You don't have to have your armor up right now. Mm -hmm. Right. If this is a safe space or safe moment for us both to go, wow, I impacted you. Wow, I impacted you too. Okay, what did we learn from this? How do, how can we do something different for next time? Like where do we, you know, where do we go from here? Mm -hmm. But listeners, I just want to keep like reinforcing this over and over again, notice that everything I've said is it starts with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It starts with us. It, it, it remind, Lisa, it's reminding me of a concept. Um, and it's fantastic to hear you say this because I think this is part of this sort of uh, next generation of leadership. You know, we talk about maverick leadership here at Straight Talk Live, And what that really means is there's, there's a whole new paradigm of being a leader uh, in whatever context. But the school books and the MBAs, and I was part of those actually, um, until recently, until recently, have, have not at all addressed these issues. In fact, quite the opposite. And which is why globally, if you look at the, the, with the demographics of leaders and the way we've been leading companies to date, has been quite monolithic. It's been about the traditional ways of leading and uh, leading mostly men leading um, and uh, and men have their own challenges around ego, and, and that's another discussion later. But um, it's fantastic for, for us to listen to this. Th there's another part to this as well, um, that um, before I ask you that, there is a question that's coming. We must ask this question before we run out of time. Um, I'm going to read it out, Rick. Um, if, I, if I want to minimize, there's a question from Facebook Live. So if I want to minimize conflict, how can I react to the person who is expecting me to change or conform to their ideas or ways of doing things? It's the first part of the question. So if I want to minimize conflict, how can I react to the person who is expecting me to change or conform to their ideas or ways of doing things? The second part is what are ways to get the person to back down or compromise? So um, what are the ways for the person to back down and compromise? Does, does that make sense? It does. Okay. So in the first, um, in the first part of the, of the question, um, you know, how can I minimize it? Again, we look at the part of us that isn't comfortable with it, mm -hmm. right? And the part of us that wants it somehow to, to go away. Um, 
one of the fears that I think everyone needs to face is, am I still willing to be myself even if someone doesn't like me? It's a huge, it's a huge fear because it's the, it's, it's one of the big ones for our own inner conflict, right? Um, am I willing to say what I need to say at risk of someone getting mad at me? Mm. Am I willing to set the boundary at the risk of someone not liking me? Um, that's really where that question starts, truly. That question starts with, um, are you willing to stay true to yourself and risk the other person being uncomfortable with whatever you're doing or whatever you're saying. Mm -hmm. Recognizing that if there is conflict in the moment, it's their own conflict with their fantasies about who they think you should be. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have any conflict in those moments. Mm -hmm. nice. You don't have, to have any conflict in that moment. But might there be tension from the other person? Yes. And that's their inner journey with themselves around their own fantasies and expectations. But you don't have to lose yourself. But it's a big one because if we can't handle the potential feedback, we may minimize ourselves so that we don't get the feedback. And then we've actually just created more conflict. Mm -hmm. We've transferred yeah. the conflict from then internally. Right. And now we're actually yeah. going to have more symptoms inside rather than if we had just said, this is who I am. This is what I need. This is my truth. This is what's happening for me. And they get to go, ha, ah! or however, you know, however they're going to, however they're going to respond. So I think that's a, that's a really important piece. I cannot control someone else's reaction. Mm -hmm. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is my response to myself or my response back when the conflict comes back my way. Mm -hmm. So in those moments when it feels hard, breathe, breathe, take deep breaths, connect to yourself. Feel your feet on the ground. Maybe put your hand on your heart if you need to remind yourself that you just spoke your truth. Um, reaffirm to yourself inside why you said what you said. Yeah. Whatever needs to happen so that you can stay steady here, knowing that you're not going to be able to control whatever is happening out there. There, one of my favorite um, images around conflict I want to share, um, which is this. You can't actually have a fight with someone or you can't actually have a full-blown two-way conflict if you don't pick up the rope. So for example, right? If someone throws you a rope and the throat may be, they give you a put down or they yell at you or they make that look on their face or they tell you they're disappointed in you or how dare you, or whatever that may be, right? They just threw a rope. If you don't pick it up, there's no war. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The moment you pick it up and you get defensive, well, now you're in a war. Mm -hmm. So one of the great lines that I often have in my own head is, don't pick up the rope. Just don't pick up the rope. Right? <laughs> don't pick up the rope. <laughs> right? Stay here and don't pick up the rope. Mm -hmm. I like it. Yeah. You know, in our last 10 minutes, or did you want to say one more thing? Well, I was going to say, I think that my answer also spoke a little bit to the second part of the question, mm -hmm. um, you know, as, as well. Um, but the last piece that I will say about that is, you know, one of the things if we generally want to, you know, to, to minimize it or to create a little bit more opportunity for wholeness, I love how you said that um, earlier, Rick, is um, allow people to be themselves, right? The more we communicate with other people in a way that they perceive that they get to be themselves, you're mm -hmm. naturally going to have a, um, a, a different kind of conversation, naturally. It's really the moment that we start imposing our expectations that we potentially send them into a state of dysregulation mm -hmm. and potentially then they pick up the rope. 
So don't throw the rope at them. Right. Don't throw the rope. One of the things I'd love to get to in our last 10 minutes here is, and by the way, if you're in the audience, now's your time to ask questions. So fire away. Um, I want to get to some practical tools. Like what are real grounded practical tools we can use when we see red, when we pick up the rope, when we're at work and we want to take their head off because that they roll their eyes at us again in the team meeting in front of our boss and we want to take their head off clean. Uh-huh. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just uh, randomly making this up. No? <laughs> getting into the, you're passionate about that. So my, my question is like, what are some practical tools when you're noticing you're triggered and you're probably going to do something foolish? Like, so yeah. what, how can you walk through our audience in those moments? How do they yeah. de-escalate? <clears throat> so if you are um, a bit hot in the head, not the time to respond because mm. your probability of saying something that's going to go over well is not very high. Mm. So when you start to feel highly dysregulated, you actually only have one task and that is to get yourself back to yourself. That's your only mm. task. Mm. You can deal with the whole situation a week later if you mm. need to. Nothing ever needs to be addressed right there in the moment, everybody. So that may mean that you, um, if, if you're not able to just stand up and go take some space, that may mean sitting quietly. That may mean grabbing your water and you're just drinking your water and breathing while you're drinking water. You know, you're feeling your feet on the ground. Um, it, it's, it's really, um, it can be, you know, uh, some people like to do the taking a couple breaths and, you know, counting, counting to 10. Um, I just grasp my hands like this, you know, it can be just, you know, holding onto your hands. Um, and then there's also, if you can, there's the, um, I'm going to excuse myself for a minute. I'll be back in five. Mm-hmm. Stand up, go into another room, go take a walk. Mm-hmm. Go breathe, go de-escalate. And again, de-escalating isn't about necessarily calming down. It's about what do I need to do in those moments to come back to myself so mm-hmm. I don't pick up the rope, mm-hmm. right? right. That's, that, that's really what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, another one, if you're with someone, another way that can help you stay engaged when things are heated, repeat back what the person just said. It's really hard to react when you're concentrating on repeating back what someone says. Mm. Um, so yeah, Rick, do you want to throw some other ones in here? I know you and I went through some different ideas. Yeah. I think maybe one other one would be what happens when you're in the conflict with someone else Mm -hmm. and what are some tools, conversational tools or what have you to work through that where you're trying to help, um, be heard or, or to hear, like, how do you actually work that out in an inter- interpersonal dynamic? Mm-hmm. So the first is to recognize, are this, is the person in a position where they can hear you? Mm. Okay, that's, that's a really big one. If they're mm. not in a position because they are so escalated, it doesn't matter what you say, they can't hear you. So just like we just talked about how important it is for us to potentially take space or do whatever, it's important that you allow that of someone else too. So let them go have their space. Let them go de-escalate. If you're working with someone um, in the moment and, um, and they won't allow you to take space or they don't want to take space because they're the one that just want to keep fighting, that may be where you actually have to set a boundary. Mm-hmm. And so the boundary may look like, so Rick, I'll do it with you. Rick, I respect you enough to not fight with you right now. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow. I like that. Okay. I respect you enough to not fight with you right now. So Rick, we're going to both come back in 10 minutes or you may not come back in 10 minutes, but I'm going to come back in 10 minutes. Hmm. And, then we'll, could, and then we'll I try could just again. feel whatever way my ego wants to keep going. Just hearing the respect just has me relax yeah. on some level. Yeah. It's a really great thing to say to someone mm-hmm. in the heat of the battle. Yep. So I have to recognize, am I in a place where I can have the conversation? If not, I need to handle it. Is the other person in a place where they can have a conversation? If not, I need to help them handle it. (laughs) You're good, Lisa. (laughs) 
Otherwise, you're just going to go round and round and round and round and round and round and round. If you're having a conversation and nothing is integrating, hit pause, both go take some space, come back later. And the coming back, by the way, is huge because it's also part of the repair. This comes from Facebook here. Nikki Rule is asking, basically, how do you deal with strong overbearing people in a meeting if someone is intense and maybe kind of bully energy and yet you still have to advocate for yourself or for your son in her case. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, any, any advice on those moments where you need to set a boundary, but someone is in a position of power in the circle with you mm-hmm. could be your boss, could be someone else. How do you deal with those moments? You acknowledge and then you redirect. Okay. So you just said son. So I'm going to make up a story that this is like a principal or something like that. Right. So I'm going to make, I'm going to make up a scenario here. So let's say I'm trying to advocate for my, my child and there's a principal or, or teacher or something. So the first is I'm going to acknowledge. So again, you know, we're all saying Rick. Okay. So, um, Rick, um, or Mr. Snyder, if I need to be professional in the principal, principal Snyder to you, principal, oh, sorry, principal <laughs> Snyder. Um, um, I so appreciate how much you care about my child. Hmm. Right. Um, I, I, I see how hard you are trying to correct this and make this right. And you're offering suggestions and, 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 and you know, and I get this and I'm so as a mom who has her son at your school, uh, thank you for caring so much, mm. right? Because that's what the principal, whoever's trying to do. So you're acknowledging what they're trying to do. Not to agree with it, mm-hmm. but you're acknowledging what they're trying to do it, trying to do. And then it's the redirect. And one of the things that's important to understand about my son is that my son is a kinesthetic learner. Mm-hmm. And what that means for his body is that he's not a child that's going to stay in his seat. Because his body doesn't know how to stay in the seat very well. It can't stay in his seat very well. In fact, he doesn't learn as well when he stays in his seat. Hmm. So I would love to help create a win-win here. So can you see what I'm doing, right? I'm acknowledging and then I'm redirecting. So the acknowledgement helps de-escalate the person. And then the redirection is the boundary. Mm-hmm. It's the ultimate yes and. It's the yes and. It's beautiful. Yes and <laughs> right <laughs> not yes but <laughs> yes and mm-hmm. that's beautiful that powerful there can yeah. also be a place to be able to name so principal snyder right lisa again yes yes um i really want to share my opinion right now mm. and i'm scared too mm. wow yeah that's a great one that's a great one. So it's also bringing forth vulnerability. I'm afraid that I don't, that I'm actually nervous that you're going to yell at me. And so all the audience members right there, that's coming into wholeness in the moment through vulnerability right there. Yeah. That's it. That's actually a position of power right there. That yeah. changes the dynamic in the space. It does. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Lovely. We have another question. I know we're running out of time from Facebook again. Um, Aaron Lim, fantastic chat. Thank you, everyone. Um, how do I how do I um, balance speaking the truth uh, when I know the outcome of that will be will severely impact me um, in a negative way? So how do I you know how do I basically find the courage to speak the truth when I know the outcome is not going to be right? It's kind of similar to what you've just said. Um, and the second part of the question is, and that I can afford not. Um, uh, to share the truth. So in, in other words, how do I find the courage to say what I'm really yeah. thinking? Because I'm worried that it might dismantle the situation or upset someone. I think you've almost answered that, but anything else you want to add beyond what you've just said? Yep. It's about facing the fear. So play out your worst case scenario in your head, because that's what you're already yeah. doing anyway. So play out your worst case scenario and then ask yourself repeatedly. And if my worst scenario happens, how will that be a gift to me? How will that benefit me? How will that serve me? How will it, what will I get to learn? What will I get to do? What won't I have to do anymore? And, and, and see the wisdom in it falling apart in the way that you're afraid that it's going to fall apart to the degree that you can see that the conflict or whatever you perceive is going to happen on the other end is also going to help you grow. Mm-hmm. Your fear will, will, will integrate. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. 
we have one more. We have one more. Uh, Tom, um, I'm trying to trying to interpret this question. I'll read it verbatim. Um, how do you not throw the rope while maintaining standards and expectations? How do you not throw the rope? I'm not sure if you mean how do you not how do you decide not to pick the rope up? I'm not sure, but uh, how would you interpret that? I think I think that's what you're saying, Tom. Well, I had said, um, you know, don't throw, don't throw the rope. Um, And I had said it in the context of, um, you know, for us to be aware of the expectations that we put on other people. So I guess that's where Tom's question is coming from. Um, So when I'm saying throw the rope, I'm saying throw the rope in a, you better do that. You better be different kind of a way. Mm I can still have a standard or an expectation, but it's the way that I deliver it that makes all the difference. So for example, you know, if, if, you know, if I said to you, Hey, you know, I, I know you can't stand doing dishes. I know you don't like it. I know you'd rather be doing whatever, whatever, whatever. And I really need some help tonight. Mm -hmm. Would you please help me do the dishes? Okay. That's different than I need you to do the dishes. Mm-hmm. Right. right. So in, in that one, I just threw a rope at you. I just expected you versus connecting with you and then making a request of you, which is mm-hmm. totally different. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well put. And if I saw your micro expressions totally change on the second one right there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need you to do the dishes now. You're like, <laughs> you got me. You got me in one hit. I don't take well totally. for that. Yeah. So, um, that's f- fantastic. I, I think uh, a bit of feedback. Amazing work, guys. I'm very grateful for all this food for thought. Let's ban the ro- let's ban the ropes, <laughs> Andrea. Uh, coming through, nice. and then we've got one more from Nikki. Uh, th- just responding to your. Your answer there, um, Lisa. Nikki says, thank you very much. Your knowledge is very valuable for parents trying to accomplish an education for a child in an IEP meeting. I'm not sure Uh what that stands for, but I think you might know what that means. That's Um, brilliant because that was literally what I had in mind as Uh, the the visual when I was saying that. So if that's that's what that was actually about, spot on. Nailed it. Mm -hmm. So Lisa, um, we're going to be wrapping up here. I'd just love to hear what any final words for our audience about conflict, especially in this time in our world right now. Any last things that you want to say? we go back to the beginning it's feedback right it's feedback to let us know when um when something feels off for us within us we're not being true to ourselves when we're not speaking up um i'll say another thing too when we genuinely feel good about ourselves and we are moving for our own lives in an inspired way we don't get all caught up in what other people are 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 doing quite as much Um, when we feel a bit lost, we, we'll, we get a little bit more caught up in the drama that happens around us. So my biggest, uh, my biggest thing for all of you is that be willing to experience conflict in pursuit of your authenticity. You cannot have authenticity without it. The pearl in the shell does not become the pearl without the friction from the sand. Mm. You cannot become who you are without friction because you need to bump up against ideas, beliefs, people, situations over and over and over again, asking you over and over again, claim who you are, claim who you are, be willing to have other people deal with their stuff instead of you internalizing it and then you have your own inner conflict. So you're worth it. That's what I wanna say to everyone. You are worth it. Um, Conflict is your feedback system Mm. to get you authentic. Amazing. Lisa, where do people need to go to find out more about you and your work? Sure, so there's two places. Um, So synergeticplaytherapy.com is the, the Institute's um, website. Um, and then for my website, it's Lisa at Lisa hyphen Dion.com. If you want to know just about me. And that's D I O N I imagine. It is. Okay. okay. <laughs> glad, glad we didn't have a conflict there. Good. <laughs> so um, I want to just say, just for those of you listening, our show next week, um, we're going to be diving deep into journalism and the state of journalism today with one of the most uh, reputable journalists uh, 
who's now a freelancer who can speak freely about working for the PBS a news hour, working for a British broadcasting system, BBC, um, uh, CNN as well, et cetera. So we're going to take a deep look at what is the future of journalism in a fake news world? Is there hope for us that way of getting real stories and having the empowerment to, to really get at the truth? So that's what we're going to dive into deeply next time. Stay tuned for that one. And I just want to say, Lisa, Dion, you are an international treasure. Thank you so much for all that you bring and teach and how many people you touch and help in this life. Um, very appreciative of you here at Straight Talk Live. And I know we already want you back for a third time. <laughs> awesome. I hope there's no conflict with that. <laughs> there's no conflict with that. <laughs> okay, cool. You were vulnerable. You were vulnerable there, Rick. So it's all good. Good. Um, amazing. Lisa, thank you so much. Really, really amazing show. We had so much audience participation as well. And uh, look after yourself. Be well. Keep smiling and um, keep, keep sending us great energy as well. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you all. Thank you.